Today we will be reading from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If you do not have a Bible, our ushers are coming down currently and will be more than willing to give you a Bible. If you do not have a Bible at home or know someone who needs a Bible, please feel free to take this one as home as our gift to you. Again, we will be, re be reading from Philippians 2, 1 through 11, which if you were given one of the Bibles, that is on page 921. Please follow along as I read. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any aff affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather here today. And Lord, we do ask that you show us through Kobe today how we can put this into practice and put humility more into our lives and be humble just like Jesus Christ was who gave his life for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, my, if you don't know, uh, my name's Kobe Bartolucci. If you're new here, you might not know who I am. I'm the worship leader here uh, at Mission Valley Church. So normally I'd be up here uh, leading you guys in music, but this morning we got the treat of Donnie leading us and the band um, who already did such a great job. Um, I was super excited this morning listening to the practice. I'm excited for all the songs today. Uh, but this morning I get to preach uh, because uh, Mike and his family um, went out of town on a well-deserved vacation. Um, and uh, I was... Uh, have the pleasure of getting to preach, preach for you all this morning because Mike um, asked me to. So um, this morning, um, uh, the scripture that we just heard is all about humility, right? And Pastor Mike not being here, I can say a couple things about him since he's not here um, that he, he might not want me to say otherwise. Good things, I promise. Um, if you don't know Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike owns a... Um, construction company. He owns a construction company, runs that company, and then pastors this church um, and is a volunteer at this church. So he pastors the church, he preaches every Sunday, he takes care of our people, myself, my family, um, the staff, and all of you. Um, he meets with um, the members of this church all the time, even though it's a volunteer job and he loves it. Um, Mike's a very humble man. I think he's a good example uh, of a humble guy. I could not speak more highly of Pastor Mike. Um, 
and I'm proud to be working alongside him here at this church. Um, and speaking of um, humility, as we will be for the rest of um, this sermon, um, you probably have an idea of what you think humility is. It's most commonly defined as having a low or modest view of one's own importance. So thinking that you're not very important. That would be what we think of as humility. But I don't think that this does a very good job of depicting the type of person that we would describe as humble. So if, if somebody were to come up to me after today's sermon and say, hey, Kobe, that was a good sermon, um, that view of humility, saying, like, how can I make myself less important, might cause me to say something like, oh, it, you know, it wasn't that good, or it was, it was okay, it was, you know, it was fine. Um, and kind of deflect uh, any attention away from myself um, so that I would decrease my own importance. And I've heard plenty of people do this exact thing. I'm, I'm sure that you've heard people do the same thing. You might have done the same thing yourself. I know I've done the same thing. I don't think it's necessarily a terrible thing to do, to say like, oh, you know, I don't deserve this praise or whatever. But I think that um, we're missing a piece of humility. Humble people tend to see more importance in other people than in themselves. So it's not just having a low view of your own importance, but it's having a high view of how important other people are. And I think that is the type of humility that makes people say, that's a humble person. So if somebody's like that, you would describe them as a humble person. Having the first part, a low view of your own importance, without the second part, viewing others as more important, is missing the part of humility that makes it noble and admirable, in my opinion. Um, and if somebody came up to me after today's sermon and said that, that was a good sermon, I think what I would have to consider is, um, not only am I not very important, I would need to consider, uh, uh, I don't want to increase my own importance, I also want to increase the importance of that person if I want to have a humble response. I would want to tell that person, um, I would want to consider, hey, that person went out of their way after hearing this sermon, um, they got something out of it, I, and they took the time to go out of their way to come up to me and tell me that I did a good job. Now, they didn't need to do that. You know, it was pretty unimportant of them for them to have to do that. They didn't need to. But recognize that they took the time to do that and that it's important that they did that. Recognize that importance. How can I recognize that importance? Well, instead of denying the compliment and saying, like, oh, no, it wasn't that good, I should probably just accept the fact that it was really kind of them to take that time. Say, thank you. You didn't need to do that. Thank you for doing that. That's, that's a humble response. Simply saying thank you is as humble as you can get, I think, in that situation. And it sounds simple, but I think it's true. Because a humble person doesn't just decrease their own importance. They highlight how important other people are to them. So, um, a few months ago, uh, Bailey and I decided, uh, Bailey's my wife. Uh, we have, I didn't even talk, I didn't even tell you this. I have a wife. Uh, she, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to introduce myself a little bit. I forgot to, to say this. Bailey, my wife over there, um, we've been married since 2018. Uh, we have two kids in our home. Um, Andrew, uh, who um, was born in 2020. Um, Bailey gave birth to him in the hospital then. Um, and then we have Dean, who's a little over 18 months. He's, uh, uh, we are um, fostering him. We just had uh, the last he court hearing to determine that Dean is officially up for adoption and we are uh, up to adopt him. So we're super excited. We just learned that this week. Thank you. Thank you. We're super excited for Dean and for him to be a Bartolucci. Um, and 
Uh, that process begins now, and we were told it lasts at least five months. We're like, okay, whatever. Uh, so we're hiring a lawyer and doing all the things we have to do, um, but we're, we're set. You know, people have helped us so much. People in the church, there's a lot of people in this church who care a lot about fostering, and they've done a, such a great job of partnering with Bailey and I to help us a lot. So I want to thank, you know, all those, those parents who um, have helped us along the way, all those parents who care so much about foster kids. So um, that aside, um, that's what our family looks like. Um, and months ago, uh, Bailey and I decided we owned a house, and we decided we were going to sell the house. This was when the market was pretty, you know, up and up. Um, so we were like, we should sell the house. We don't really like owning the house anymore. There's a lot of stuff to do around a house, you know. Um, and, you know, it's nice to own a house, but we were up on it. We thought we kind of want to scale down, you know, just rent for a little bit and figure out what we really want. Um, so we did. Uh, well, we went and got a place to rent. We didn't, however, sell the house. We listed it, and the month that we listed it, I was convinced we would sell very quickly. Even our real estate agent was like, oh, yeah, you sell now, like, it'll be great. And then, like, the week we listed it or whatever, prices plummeted, things stopped selling fast, so we didn't sell our house, needless to say, for months. So we had gotten a place to rent and um, tried to sell the house, so we were basically paying a mortgage and, and rent at the same time, similar, similar cost. Obviously, we didn't have, like, the budget to do that forever. That was not the plan. Um, I don't know that it was a good plan to say, we're going to sell this house really fast, but that's what we did. Um, and it turns out that it certainly wasn't a good plan. We found that out pretty quick. Um, within a few months, um, we had found that we had a lot, a lot of credit card debt. You see, in the years previous, I had student loan debt. Um, and me and my wife worked really hard to take good care of our money to pay down that debt. We probably paid down half of it in a few years when we were married. So I thought that I was doing a good job because Bailey kind of trusted me with funds. That I, uh, I did a lot of the money stuff in the house. I thought that I was doing a good job. People had told me I was doing a good job with money. I found a little bit of pride in how good I was with money. We didn't have like a super strict budget. We just had like a general budget that we basically stuck to and it worked really well for us until we bought a house and there were expenses. We wanted to, we got solar on our house. We had to buy a car because our family grew too big so we needed a big safe car. All of these things that we didn't, because we were so used to spending freely, we ended up having to put certain things on credit cards like the down payment for the car. Um, shouldn't have done that looking back. I don't know, we just thought we needed a car really bad so we did it. Terrible idea. Um, and we kept putting more things on the credit card because we just couldn't quite afford the things, thinking, well, we'll pay it off. Again, terrible idea. Don't, don't follow my, my lead there. But it comes down to we need to sell, the, we want to sell this house. Um, after a couple months, we really had a lot of credit card debt. We, had, we were like trying to pay like rent plus mortgage with some credit cards. Like it was really bad. Uh, to the point where we had basically racked up the same amount of debt that we got rid of in the years prior. It was terrible. Um, and I had to admit um, that I had failed, that the thing that I thought I was so good at, I did a terrible job of. I made a bad plan, and I had to do something. I didn't know what to do. We could either just hope and pray that the house would sell, and then we'd be out of this hole, maybe, if, this, if it sold for enough money, or something else. And I didn't know what my other options were exactly. So I talked to Billy. I said, I'm, I'm just going to call Pastor Mike. So I did. I called Pastor Mike. He literally drove to our house that day talked with us, looked at our budget, and said, you know what? You just need to get a second job. I was like, what the heck? I just need to get, just get a second job. Okay, cool. And he's like, oh, I got one for you. And I was like, okay, that's different. He said, I need, I need laborers for work. He, he owns a construction company, always needs people to do more work. Um, it's busy, you know? So 
uh, I got to go like learn how to be a carpenter for a little while, which is kind of cool. But obviously, two jobs. We had just, for those of you who don't know, we had just merged Mission Valley Church and Northern Hills Church together into Mission Valley, like that week. So and this is the first Sunday that we're officially Mission Valley Church, and now I have to go get a second job while I'm full-time here. So needless to say, I was spending my days working and my nights um, doing whatever I could, uh, either at the church if there was an event, or working on the church while Bailey supported me in that, while she still worked full-time and we had two kids. Needless to say, it was crazy. Um, but what, what did I have to do there? I had to put down my... Um, selfish desires, my pride. I had to shove that down and say, like, what's, what's really important here? And I had to lift up the importance of my family and treat my family like it was more important than me. Because if I had it my way, I would have probably kept ignoring the problem and saying, like, well, it'll be okay because we're going to sell the house, which was, again, such a bad, I can't believe that that's what I thought would happen, but that's what I thought would happen, that we'd just sell the house and it'd be fine. But that's what I thought. And I was wrong. Um, and Mike told me, hey, no, this is what you need to do. And I had to put down all that pride. I mean, it was the most, I mean, I've never been more humbled than that. This isn't a story of me being humble. This is a story of me being humbled by the decisions I had made. I had made lots of mistakes and had to face them um, and destroy my pride to, to make my family more important. So, humility is making yourself less important so that you can make others more important. Oh, and to just round out the story, during that time that we had, that I had two jobs, Bailey would agree, it was maybe the best time of our marriage so far. It was like, God blessed, I think, the, my, me being humbled in a way that even though we were as busy as possible, it just made our time together so valuable, and we treasured it so much that we ended up being way more effective in our marriage. It was so, it's such a blessing, and it's affected us to this day. We do such a better job, I think, of connecting with one another, spending our time well. It really, like, as much as it was hard, it was such a blessing for our family to have a new perspective on, one, money, super helpful, and two, what our relationship should look like. So, humility, making yourself less important, and maybe more importantly, making others far more important. So, like I said, this whole passage is about humility. I'm going to get right into uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, and see what Paul has to say about it. So, verse 1 says this. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, verse 1 uh, is sort of presumptive. So he's saying now, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is that, if there is another thing, um, he's, uh, you need to consider that Paul's perspective here is that he's writing to a church that he helped plant. He knows that they're Christians. So he's presuming, like, not if, wondering if they do find encouragement in Christ, just knowing that they do. So this is presumptive. That's all that that verse is, is saying, hey, Christians, I'm talking to you. That's how he's, he's making it clear. Christians, I'm talking to you. In verse 2, he says, complete my joy by being unified. And in asking them to complete his joy, Paul is calling back to an earlier part of the letter. Remember, if you were here two weeks ago, that Paul said this in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 21. He said this, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So when Paul asks them to complete his joy, he is sort of saying, because I've remained here with you, right, so I've put down my desire to depart and be with Christ, I recognize that even though that would be much more joyful for me in eternity, it would be way better for you guys as the church if I remained here as an encouragement to you. So, um, he does say very clearly that my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And Christians know that dying and being with Christ um, and being with Jesus will be so good. It will be nothing but good, only good. While here on earth, there are some good things that happen, but we know that it's full of sin. So the amount of good that is here is nothing compared to the goodness that will be being with Jesus, being in front of Jesus and worshiping him for eternity. Paul knows that. We know that. And on top of knowing that, if you know who Paul is, you can't blame the guy for wanting to get out of Dodge here on earth. And if you don't know what he's been through, let me share a little something. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he prefaces this by saying, what I'm about to say and the way I'm about to talk is not becoming of a Christian. It's kind of crazy. I'm making a point here. I would never talk this way. Okay? He makes that very clear first. Um, but this is what he's saying. 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So, Paul is saying, um, talking to people who, uh, talking about people who would save their servants of Christ, but their lives don't show that, that that is true. And he's saying, are they really servants of Christ? You should be able to look at their life and tell. And here's what I've done, how, how I've suffered for Christ. And know that you can tell by their life. That they're Christians. That's what Paul's getting at here, but he's describing everything he's been through as a Christian for Christ's sake. And Paul was obviously a Christian who suffered more than you could have imagined or I could have imagined. And despite that, Paul says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. So convinced of the truth that they need him more than uh, he wants to go with Christ, he's going to stay, even though he has suffered more than you and I will ever suffer. So because of how important the church is to Paul, he is convinced that he should remain here with them for their sake. Paul is convinced that the church is more important than himself. Paul is saying, I am unimportant, and the church is more important than me. You see, Paul has put down his desire to be with Christ in order to make the church more important than himself. That is humility. It's the humility that we talked about at the beginning. He's putting down his desire, which he says, my desire is to be with Christ, and says, well, what would be better for the church? Well, it would be better if I stayed here with you, and he's putting that as more important than himself. It's a beautiful picture, very clear picture of what humi humil humility really is. 
So Paul is remaining for the Philippians' sake, and he told them, complete my joy, right? So complete his joy um, in doing this thing that I'm asking, by being unified, right? Um, so how does he ask them to, to do this? By being of one mind, he says. He says, complete my joy by being of one mind. Basically, I've done all these things, I've suffered for Christ, but I'm staying here anyway, so please just, please make this church successful by unifying yourself. Don't be separate, be one. Agree. But what is the one mind, we need to ask, that Paul's thinking of? He's saying be of one mind, but what mind does he want them to be of? Well, he explains in verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the unity Paul is talking about is being humble. Paul's big ask for the church is that each individual member would be humble. That's his ask. So if you're wondering today, what's, what's the idea that Paul's getting at in, in this part of his letter? The big idea for today is, Christian, humble yourself. Not just be humble, but humble yourself actively. Put yourself as less important so that others, especially the church, can be more important than you. So how do we as members of the church, or as people who are new to church, either one, how do we humble ourselves? How do we do that? If he's saying, Christian, humble yourself, how does he want us to do that? Remember that Paul said to count others more significant than yourself. And we saw that to make himself less important, Paul laid down his desire to depart and be with Jesus for the sake of the church. So how do we be humble? Christian, first, lay down your desires. This is how we are humble. He says, Christian, be humble. How? By laying down your own desires. As I laid down my desire to be with Christ, Church member, just lay down your desire, your selfish desires, so that you can focus on what's important for the church. And when Paul laid down his desire to depart and be with Christ, he did it because the church is so much more important than himself, and he's convinced of that. He believed it. Now it is, to be clear, it's really good wisdom, and it's true, that Paul would want us to treat other non-Christians, anybody we would meet, as more important than ourselves. Jesus was an example of this. It should be that anybody we go and meet, if I go to the coffee shop down there and I meet somebody who isn't a Christian, that I know isn't a Christian or that I find out isn't a Christian, um, just like any other Christian in this church, I should treat them as more important than me. That's good wisdom that Paul would totally be on board with. But we need to consider what is Paul talking about here in this context? What is his context of writing? Well, um, when Paul says... Uh, Oh, he's writing to the church at Philippi. So when Paul says to count others more significant than, your, than yourself, remember that he's giving them wisdom as a, a church body, like us. He's giving them wisdom, um, and they'd be a church just like we are, a group of believers gathered together. So it seems like Paul is saying, consider the church, not just random other people, but, but really, in this case, the church more important than yourself. When he says, look not only to your own interests, he's asking them to look to the interests of the church not just other individuals. As a member of the body, that's right, the church is described as the body of Christ, as a member of the body, consider the body greater than you as an individual member. So you shouldn't think if you're an arm or a leg on the body that it's all about the arm. No, if the arm thinks that, it'll probably do no good for the body, right? The, the arm has to know, the leg has to know what is it doing in order to make the body strong as a whole, okay? So as a member of the body, focus on what is good for the body. And I think that um, 
not, not, to be, not to make a pun, but this is honestly true, the word interest in this um, um, passage is a very interesting word that Paul would use. Because if we consider what, um, what we think of when we hear the word interest, we think of what are we interested in. So Paul says, consider others' interests above your own. Um, I might be interested in movies. I might be interested in music. Uh, I might be interested in video games, right? Our interests are synonymous with desires at times. Um, and we can, prop, we can call, for the sake of this, um, this passage and describing what's going on in this passage, we can call those desires the selfish ones, the ones that are for you. So your selfish desires, those are your own interests that benefit you. That's not to say they're all necessarily bad, but that's what, that's what we can call them, okay? Um, we can also, though, consider what is in the best interest of other people or ourselves. What's in the best interest? Not just what are we interested in, but what's in our best interest. When he says, look not only to your own interests. Oh, whoops, sorry. <clears throat> I think Paul is asking us to consider our selfish desires unimportant and consider what others desire, but more importantly, do what is in the best interest of others. So consider what they want, sure, but you should really be doing what is in the best interest of others, especially what's in the best interest of the church, what is best for the church. Make the church so important that you would do whatever is in its best interest, even if it's not what you want. That's the key. You will do what's best for the church, especially, maybe, even when it's not um, what you want, that you would put down the desires of your heart um, for what's best for the church. As a worship leader, um, I, my favorite part of service every Sunday is that we get to sing together. Um, and I'm super glad that I get to, to lead you guys most Sundays. I'm super glad that I get to worship with you guys in the seats today. It was such a blessing already just to sing with you all this morning. I love it. Um, and when we sing together, we need to consider what it's for. We sing together not so that you can enjoy the song, right? You might like, you might have like four or five songs that you love, and you said, if we sang those songs every Sunday, I would love it. I would sing so loud because I love those songs. But here's the kicker. We're not going to sing those songs every Sunday. We're going to sing other songs. Why? Well, because the sermon is different every week. And the things that we want our church thinking about singing throughout the week, and believing that week are different from week to week. Sometimes we need to think about um, how powerful God is. Sometimes we need to think about how broken we are. We need to be reminded of the truths of the gospel from week to week. And sometimes we want to focus on one thing, and sometimes we want to focus on a different thing. So the songs will be different. I can promise you that every week. And sometimes I guarantee you won't like the song. But what's good for the church is that we all sing together, not so that you would sing when you like it. It's so that we all sing together, so that when people don't feel like singing, people are discouraged, but they see you singing, they hear you singing, and they see these people on stage singing, they're encouraged by the words and the truth of the gospel and the emotion and passion that you feel for the truth that you're singing. They hear that, they think that, they believe it, and then they sing too. It is for the benefit of the whole church that you, the individual member, sings when the whole church sings. It is no good for the church if you decide that you don't want to. That's not what that's for. The, the singing together is for the benefit of the whole church. 
And when you decide, you know what, I'm going to sing even though I don't want to, that's you changing. That's you recognizing that God is more, more glorious and more important than you. You're lifting the church as more important than yourself. When you sing, you are being changed. When others see you sing, they're being changed. And eventually they'll sing. And then other people will see those people sing. And they'll be changed. Do you understand how this works? This is how the church grows. And it doesn't stop at going and telling your friends. It continues when you're here. And when other people, your friends who have never seen this happen before, that you bring, who aren't Christians, when they see it happen, they understand the gospel. They hear the gospel for the first time. They sing it on their mouths. They start to believe it. That's how change occurs. It's the gospel. So, Christians, make others important. Okay? How do we humble ourselves? We lay down our desires, and we make others important. We make the church important. We sing because the church is important. So we have seen a clear picture of this humility in Paul. He laid down his desire to be with Jesus for the sake of the church because it would be better for him to stay and be with them. That's what he said. And if Paul said, just be humble like me, so do what I did, we'd say like, yeah, cool. That's like a great, that's great advice. If Paul said, just do what I do, we'd be like so on board with that. Of course we should do what he did. He's awesome. He's done fantastic work and he's so humble. That's obvious. But despite his own example, Paul indicates that there's a much, a much better example. Verses 5 through 7, this is what Paul writes. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was made in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Paul is identifying that Jesus is where this idea comes from. He's saying it is yours in Christ Jesus, not in Paul. It's in Christ Jesus that you can see the thing that I'm talking about. The humility, I'm, t I'm saying, Paul's saying, um, have one mind. What mind? The mind of humility. Where do we find that humility? Well, it's right here. Jesus, it's written down. We can see it so clearly. Jesus being fully God and fully man, considered Consider equality with God to be emptying himself. That's what it says here. And I think that sounds familiar. Emptying himself, putting down his desires, emptying his desires, right? Taking the form of a servant, which is certainly considering other people more important than himself. What does a servant do? A servant does stuff that nobody notices, steps into the shadows, gets things done to highlight somebody else. That's what servants do. And that's what Jesus did with his life. He emptied himself so that he could lift others up as more important than himself. It is the picture of the humility that we've been talking about. It is the picture. And I think if we want to look at Jesus laying down his desires, there's no better place in the Bible. You could argue maybe there is. I, I think this is, this is at least the one that, that I found that was really, really helpful for this scripture, is in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 39. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is before Jesus goes off to die on a cross for our sins. And before that, he asks his friends to wait for him in the garden and watch over him so that he'd be safe. Um, his disciples, his closest friends, not just any friends, his closest friends, his rider dies. He says, please just watch over me while I pray for like an hour. Um, and this is what happens after that. And going a little farther... 
he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus said the first time, Here are my desires. I would desire that this cup would pass from me. He says, If there's any way, let me not endure your wrath, God. The cup that he's talking about is a cup full of God's wrath. He's saying, let me not have to drink this cup of your wrath. Die on the cross, if there's any other way to do this. And then walking back to see his men asleep, he, I think, probably thought, there's no way they can do this without me dying on the cross. They can't even stay awake while I pray. How could they, how could they save themselves if they can't stay awake when I ask them to do one thing? That's probably what he's thinking. Um, and it's true. He, did, he, he saw that. They should have been awake. What are they doing betraying Jesus in that way? I'm sure not intentionally, but, but they fell asleep when they said they would stay awake. And then he walks back and prays again. If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. If this cannot pass, but he knows. He's saying, well, okay, well, I see, obviously they can't save themselves. So I'm going to have to do what you've asked, God. But Jesus lays down his desires. And then he says, God, what I want is your will. I'm going to, here's my desires, my maybe selfish desires. Remember, Jesus didn't sin. But he had something in there that was desiring for him to not die if he could. I think that's fair, right? He just said, if there's any way for me to not die, please, that would be great. But really what I want, what I really want, not, not these desires that are in, in me somewhere, really what I want is your will to be done, God. So what does Jesus do with that? Philippians 2.8 says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus laid down his desires in the garden and didn't just ask God for his will to be done, but carried out God's will faithfully. That he has to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus denied his selfish desires to do what he really wanted. What he knew was good for the church. You see, what we do indicates what we want. Right? If I said, hey, I want to get strong. And I was not going to the gym. I might tell somebody, hey, I'm, I really want to, you know, gain some weight and get some muscle. Somebody's like, well, do you go to the gym? I said, oh, no. <laughs> well, then I guess you don't really want that, do you? And I think that's fair criticism. I've heard criticism like that before. What you do is what you want. You see, Jesus took on humility as a trait. It was part of him. He was humility. So much so that his selfish desires were never what he truly wanted. He truly wanted what was best for you and I. What Jesus wanted because of what he did was to save us. What Jesus wanted was to save you and I and the church. That's what he wanted. Who did Jesus die for? He died for the church. Anybody in this room who does believe, he died for you so that you could be saved. If you don't believe this morning, he died so that you, when you hear, could believe. And if you can believe this morning, you can be saved too. That's the truth. We can define humility all we want with all the words, but at the end of the day, what's humility? It's Jesus. Jesus is humility. Jesus is the example. He laid down his desire to live. 
He lifted the church as so important that he died for us. And it doesn't get more humble than that. But when Jesus did what was in our best interest, here's what happened. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus did what was in our best interest, Jesus got the glory. He got what was really in his best interest anyway. When we humble ourselves and do what is in the best interest of the church, we will get what is in our best interest anyway, like Jesus did. Imagine if we all lifted the church as more important than ourselves, how great that would be for the church and for the community around it and for you, the church member. If the church was all full of people who put down their desires to lift up the church, I mean, I couldn't imagine how much could get done here. You see, the real thing that's in your best interest is to be humble because you will get so much more out of that than whatever selfish desire you have, always. What is the desire that you need to put down? How do you need to humble yourself this week? Who do you need to lift up? It might be something here at church. It might be. It might be your house. You might need to put your wife, kids, family more important than you. You might need to do that. You might need to say, well, there's a desire at my house that if I put this down, I could get on the same page with my family, and it would make it it better. We'd be unified in humility if I would put this desire down in my house. Maybe it's at work and maybe there's somebody you're having trouble with or something you're having trouble with in your, um, in your office. Maybe there's a coworker. Um, if you can put down your desire and unify by being humble and putting that person as more important than yourself, even if they haven't been very nice to you, man, you would be so benefited by being unified in humility at your work. Wherever you go, be humble. What is it this week? What's the desire that you need to lay down? You know, we can start that change today, that change of heart of putting down our desires. We can start that today. And that's us, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. It says in, in Philippians here, it says, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what God is doing. He's glorifying Jesus so that every tongue would confess it. And that's what we're doing this morning. You see, if Jesus can humble himself to die on a cross for us, I think we can humble ourselves to sing for his glory, at the very least. And if you're here this morning and you don't, you don't believe or you don't know how to believe, let me make it real clear, okay? What we've talked about this morning is the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What happened? Jesus Christ came to this earth. God sent his son to earth because because the earth was broken. You see, God created man and man sinned and broke the earth. We sinned and we were separated from God, but God sent his son to the earth, born of, of um, a virgin um, in the likeness of man, so that he would live a sinless life, die on the cross, so that you and I could be saved. When Jesus died on the cross, you and I had the ability to say, Jesus' righteousness, his sinlessness can be in our place so that 
instead of Jesus or God looking at our sins and the life that we've lived, he looks at Jesus in our place. And this morning, if you can believe that Jesus did this, that he died on the cross for you, that what Paul is talking about here is really a good reason for him to have planted that church in order that the gospel would be here, in order that we would be worshiping together. I mean, imagine, at this time, Paul's writing this letter, having planted a bunch of churches in jail, like, not knowing if these things would even survive. Lo and behold, it's the year 2023, I almost forgot, the year 2023, and we're here worshiping the same God because in the same way, at the same kind of church. And we can take this wisdom, and it's the same. If Jesus can humble himself to die on a cross, I think we can humble ourselves to sing for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning that we get to be together in your house. Lord God, let us praise you this morning. Let us humble ourselves this morning so that this week we can go and humble ourselves in our lives. And let us um, be changed by your word and the truth of the gospel and the truth of the songs that we sing together this morning, Lord God. Let us just be full of joy. Fill us with joy as we sing together. And Lord God, I pray for anyone here who does not yet believe, just pray that you would soften their hearts, that they would be able to believe the truth of the gospel this morning and be saved. We thank you, Jesus, for this time that we get to gather as your church. In your name I pray.